Thank you so much for joining us today for our LifePoint podcast. At LifePoint, we believe everyone's welcome, nobody's perfect, and with God, anything's possible. Hope you enjoy. My name is Andrew Garcia, and I'm one of the teaching pastors here at LifePoint Church, and we are so incredibly blessed that you would choose to be here with us in the room, or if you're watching with us online, thank you for joining us today. Um, Our lead and founding pastor, Danny Rivers, is taking a sabbatical this month. This is just a time that we as a church give to our pastor to rest, to recharge, to recalibrate with God for what God has next for LifePoint Church. So if you have not heard our pastor speak, please come back next week. He's going to be here. It's going to be a blast. Um, he's going he's gonna to bring the word, and he's going to bring it in hot. He's anointed. He's appointed to preach God's truth to this generation during this time. So I'm telling you, do not miss out on hearing our pastor. Um, we, would be, we would love that. So uh, what's really cool here is we are coming to really kind of the close of our series here. And the passage that we're going to be reading today in James is probably what I would consider to be the most important passage in James. Now, the one thing about it is it's a little dry, and it's like Danny's all the jokes, and I'm just all the good looks, so you're going to get, (laughs) it's going to be an interesting thing today. So I just want you guys to work with me a little bit. Take notes, because it's one of those, it's going to require us to use our minds to dig deep. Let's think about what's being said And James is going to speak directly because he's talking to those who are Christians. And so he's cut all the fluff. He's going straight to the heart of believers because he knows there is work to be done inside of us. And James has been talking hard, possibly even what we would consider like harsh, but he's not trying to hold us down. He's not trying to speak down to us. He's actually trying to hold us up because James isn't blind to the reality of life. James knows it is very easy to claim Christianity. It's a whole other thing when you have to walk it out. And James knows this. He knows that there's a new creature inside of us that God, that God wants to bring out of us, and yet he refuses to allow us to have any excuses to hide behind. And so he's going to say, hey, I want to explain to you guys what is happening, why it's happening, and what we need to do about it. And this has been a continuation that we've been reading since James chapter 1. And before we kind of dive into God's word, before we allow God's word to do work on us, I think, I think we just need to make sure that our hearts and minds are in the right place. Because it's easy for us to walk in here on a Sunday morning like it's just the thing that we do, not expecting, not intentionally expecting God to do something. And if you walk in that way, you will walk out the same way. But today, this passage has the capacity to transform how we think. And because it can transform how we think, it will transform how we live our lives. And so before we read the word of God, can we just prepare ourselves in prayer? So let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we come before you, God, in this place. God, your spirit, your power, your presence is here right now. And nobody, God, in this room, nobody who is watching online is doing so by accident this morning. God, you know the word that we need to hear, that we need to receive. So open up our eyes, help our ears to hear. Let our hearts perceive the truth that you will be speaking to us, Holy Spirit. Draw us closer to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Now, James, in the passage that we're about to cover, is speaking to us as a body, as, as families, as individuals. And he's been very, very intentional. If you're, if you're paying attention to what James is doing, he's been very intentional to build a connection between desire and belief. Between desire and between belief. And this is incredible. 
Because what James has been building up and what he is about to break down for us is something that we now term as belief desire psychology. Now, I promise you, I'm not doing a lecture, but I like to see how the dots line up. So I'm one of those people. So I want to break this down. Because thousands of years before research and studies would affirm and marry these two ideas together, God, through James, is bringing us this truth. And belief-desire psychology is the idea that all actions are consequences of what we believe and what we desire, interacting with each other, then leading us to take action. So action is the result of something cognitive, something appetitive, a bodily craving, right, operating together. Action occurs when the craving and desire of a desire and an instrumental belief concerning how to best satisfy that desire collide. So simply put, the uh, psychological basis of an action is that any action requires the presence of a desire and a belief. Both are necessary, necessary conditions for an action to occur. And James has been walking us through what it looks like to live out faith. And it's important for us to walk into the conversation that we're going to have with this awareness. Because let's get real. How many of you guys have ever noticed how desires will constantly arise within us? Only to then be placed by more desires once we feel like it's been satisfied. And if you really think about it, there is this continuous stream of desires that lay out destinations in our lives that provides paths for us to, to have our passions walk out on. And so without desires, life would come to a halt. And we see this happen with people who are bored or have chronic depression. Desire moves us and gives us a life direction and meaning in a cosmic sense, in a personal sense. But there's a paradox. Because the paradox of desire is we were born out of desire, and when you really think about it, we can't recall a time when we were without it. That's a big deal. Because we are so used to desiring that we are not conscious of our desires. And the only time that we know is when they make themselves acutely aware, when it's intense, or when our desires come into conflict with one another. Which is why mindful living, the very thing that James has been spitting and preaching at us since the beginning, is what gives us better insight into the condition of our soul, which can in turn help us through the Holy Spirit to disengage from unhelpful desires. And what's crazy is when you think about it, it's not so much that we form desires, but that they're already in us. And our desires then would mean, that would kind of mean that they're hardly ours to own. And we only figure them out once, we fully, once they're fully formed. And usually by that time, it's hard to undo the work that we've already laid for ourselves. Remember what James said in James chapter 1. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. And James is saying, to figure out someone's desires, we observe them. We infer desires. We can infer desires based off behavior. And James, concerned with the well-being of the church, with the well-being of individuals, is about to show us how desire has a greater grip on us than most of us realize. And it's actually moving us away from the mission and vision that God has for us as a community and as individuals. 
And he's about to preach with every sentence that he sings. And so he begins. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? And you in this passage is an important word. Because depending on the translation you have, war means your members, right? Inferring a body. That would be those who are connected to our church community. And immediately we see James strumming the same song that he's been doing this whole time. Faith transpires between God and an individual and an individual and others. Which means that if you're doing faith between just you and God, you're doing something wrong. If your faith is being worked out between you and your friends without God, you're doing something wrong. Faith is both with God and with others. And what's important, can you go back to that verse? What we need to highlight in James chapter 4, verse 1, is the word passions. Underline it, circle it, highlight it. This is such an important word because it comes from this root word called hedomai, which is where we get the word hedonism from. And hedonism is the pursuit of pleasure, sensual self-indulgence. And what's crazy is that in our culture, right, if you Google this, it is the ethical theory, ethical theory, that pleasure and or happiness are the highest aims of life. That it's something that is okay to play itself out. And James is saying the source of wars and fights among Christians, the source of division is and always has been the same. There is a root, an internal war that is connected to the lust of our flesh, our desires. This is the source of disunity and discontentment. And we can't walk past it. We can't just brush this off. And James, what's so incredible is James is more bothered by the selfish spirit and the bitterness of the quarrels than he is by the rights and wrongs of differing opinions. And if you've been in church for any length of time, you know that there are those who have critical and contentious attitudes toward how the church carries out mission and vision. And then they make claims that they are prompted and supported by the Spirit of God to, we should move this direction or we should do that thing. And James says, hold on, let me make it very clear for you. Let me just spell it out. Your contentious manner comes from your desires. Because the Spirit of God does not create chaos or confusion. And so before we come with the concern, we better make sure that we're prayed up, that our heart is in the right place, and that we are in the right spiritual mindset. And if you have a complaint about me today, I'd love to hear it. You can email me at roxy at <laughs> Just kidding, Roxy. But James is saying, whether in community, in family... In our individual lives, what is it that creates war within you? He's begging us to ask the question. What causes you to fight and to quarrel and to have division with those around you, with your life inside of you? And he says, the things that we don't have that we desire to have. The things that we don't have that we desire to have. And it's like, okay, James, how can you, how do you know that? And James would say, when I look at your behavior, it reflects the behavior of a heart that is not ruled or governed by God. And desire, desire is not some shallow word. Like desire, think about this. Like when it comes to desire, it's not enough to hold the thought, the idea, the dream. We actually, when it comes to desire, we want to grip it so tightly as if we can squeeze the life out of it because we want to control it. And what's interesting 
is this is why many preachers and teachers have framed Christianity against people's passions. And the narrative that we have been fed, that you, if you grew up in church, you've heard this before, that we are going to exchange all good pursuits, all pleasures, all passions in exchange for Jesus to pick up our cross, to, to, to stop the good, to gain some grit, to suck it up and to follow him. Give up what you desire for what Jesus wants from your life. And what is meant in that message is often missed because the message misses the mark. The real issue has to do with the heart. And God knew if I cannot get a hold of their hearts, if I cannot sit on the throne of what is going on in their heart, then they will be led by desires and desires will fuel their passions because desires are the destinations and passions are the path that lead us there. And for those of us in here exploring faith, For those of us in here who maybe are coming back around to Christianity, there is a shared PTSD that comes along with an inappropriate message of what it means to follow Jesus because Christianity has often been framed against passions, that they're inappropriate, evil, and sinful. And that's true if Christ is not the center. And what we've got wrong, James is trying to help us get right because the reality is that Jesus, a relationship with him, actually helps you experience the ultimate hedonism. (laughs) It's ironic. He is the greatest way to experience the best, most fulfilled, most purposed, most important life. And Jesus wants us to have a desire for him, to grip him so tightly, so dearly, so we can squeeze the life he has in him for us. And I think, I think this is why C.S. Lewis wrote, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased we settle for square footage we're pacified by position status achievement material means reputation only to too often too late realize that is not enough and when we get honest our desires we know this our appetites never cease it's a continuous stream And James says, so you desire and you cannot have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And when you ask, you don't receive because you ask wrongly to spin it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Our passions have the potential to derail the path that God has placed in front of us because action requires the presence of a desire and a belief. And when we are not walking carefully, our desires can convince us that God is not enough that God is not behind us, and then we convince ourselves that if he won't do it, we will do it for ourselves. And when we should be leaning into God, trusting in him, abiding in him, we get antsy. Because God's pace makes us uneasy, and our imagination begins to rule our world. 
And instead, we turn, turn towards our will and we begin working, working our bones to an end that God may never give us to begin with. We are at war with the passions that exist within us. And this is why Paul says, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Remember, Paul was pointing to the root, and James is pointing to the fruit. And Paul is saying if we insist on assessing everything purely by human standards, we will find ourselves at odds with God. We are falling in love with the illusions of what the world has to offer instead of falling in love with the life that comes through Jesus. And if we dedicate our life to material things, (laughs) to worldly pursuits, we can clearly not dedicate our life to God. This is what Jesus says. No man can serve two masters. And James says, you adulterous people, it's not like a throwaway line. It's meant to both sting and to open up the reality of what a relationship with, with God looks like. The imagery here is so, is so visceral because if you've, ever, if you've ever seen or experienced the pain, the heartbreak, the darkness that comes with adultery, you know it's not, it's not a hurt that you can just explain away. And James is trying to get us to see, do you not know the kind of pain that you inflict on God? when you turn away from him and pursue and choose the things of the world, completely, utterly rejected. Our relationship with God is not some buddy-buddy thing. We are married to God. And for the dudes in the room, I get it. It's like, that's, bro, that's weird. But we have to consider the weight of what James is saying Because he's talking about the kind of commitment that comes with being married when two paths become one. Marriage is intended to be absolute, wholehearted surrender to the other individual, the one that you choose to give everything to, do everything for at any cost to yourself. This isn't weird. It is the perfect picture of what God expects in a relationship with him. And the truth is, He's already gone all in. That's what Jesus did for you and me on the cross. And I don't understand sometimes. And Paul is like, I don't know what's going on because it seems like so many Christians don't have a proper understanding of what a relationship with God looks like. And James is saying, let me make it clear. When you said yes to him, you said, I am committing my life to you. Like I would commit my life to my spouse in marriage. And when we lose sight of our relationship with him, then we are cheating on him. And we say to God, you're not enough for me. I need more money. I need more comfort. I need more reputation, possession. I'm discontent with what you have for me, with what you can offer me, with what you provided to me. I don't trust that you have my best interest in mind. I don't believe that you can work all things out for my good. In discontentment, is the sin of looking over God's goodness in our life. Making decisions with consideration for the things of the world reveal that we have lost connection to the will and desire for God to lead and rule our lives. And James is saying, I want to bust down the back door of your hearts. 
You ask and you do not receive because you desire things with wrong motive. Like, let's just be real today. This message is more for me probably than it is for anyone else. We all have inappropriate motives. We all want to make our lives easier. We want more security. We want more comfort. But what did James say gives endurance to our faith? Trials, tribulations, temptations. But the temptations come from within, not from God. And whose kingdom are you looking to advance? Your agenda, your kingdom, or the kingdom of God? Like, come on, we've all played this game before. I know I have who knows how many times, right? Where we're like, God, if you just let me win the lottery, the mega millions, I'll tithe on it. Better yet, I'll give you half. You know what? Wait, I'll keep a million. I'll give you the 20 million. Like, you lying fools. No, you would not. Too many of us want friends, status, reputation, and money. We want to be liked by the world. We want to be cozy with the world. And James is saying, if that is you, if you are experiencing those things, you are probably doing something wrong because the world is actively working against God. It is unspiritual, it is demonic, and it is evil. And I imagine that James in this moment is broken by the weight of the words that have been pouring from his soul because he's pleading with us. Do you not see that God is a jealous lover? And we can't miss this. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace? God yearns for the full devotion of our hearts to be in full relationship with him. And love, real love, gives and demands an exclusive devotion to one person. Love gives and demands an exclusive devotion to one person. It is profoundly true that a man can only be in love with one person at a time. And if we think otherwise, then we have missed the meaning of love. And that would be because we are in a culture that has watered down love in message, in method, in meaning in the music that we listen to, in the movies that we watch, in the madness of the world that we live in, in the motive of the desires that come from our hearts. Love, this rich, meaningful, deep word, has been painted on a canvas of self-gratification, sexual expression, and sensual continuation. This is big, because if love is simply a feeling, then it doesn't have to be a choice. And if we don't feel it, then we can discount it. And we can discount it and decide it wasn't real anyways. Love, love is not a feeling. Love is a choice, and it takes gritty commitment. And James knows that if he's honest, there's a tension that exists in us all. Because if God is the jealous lover who has given so much to us, what is it that we actually have to offer? How can we give him a devotion as great as, as the grace that he has given to us. And James is like, that's the point. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace, gives grace to the humble. And James tells us, God's great demand is matched by his great grace. But a man cannot receive that grace until he realizes that he is in need of it. 
And to not, to not recognize our need of God is to express a pride that says, I am above God and others. And I will live my life in a way that shows contempt to God and others. Because have you noticed that prideful people do not recognize their own need? They cherish their own independence. They can't see their own sin. But when we walk in humility, we choose to embrace a strength that comes from God that's not ours alone to stand in the gap in the holes of our life that we need him to, that we know we're not strong enough for. Humble people recognize they have a need and then they ask for help. And James says, let me help you see what we need to do about it. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And this, this is incredible, because you recall Jesus in the wilderness. Before Jesus started his earthly ministry, he went into the wilderness to gain spiritual strength, and the devil attempts to wrestle with Jesus. And what does Jesus show us? That the devil is not invincible, that actually when he is confronted with God's word, he has no choice but to flee. He has no power that we don't hand over to him. And the devil has been using two strategies to divide and intimidate God's people. Persecution externally and division internally. And he's been doing it since the beginning of time because he knows that if we are fighting each other, if we're fighting within ourselves, as a community, if we're fighting within ourselves as a person, then we are not fighting back against who? The enemy that is in the world. The enemy that is within our world. If we're consumed with pushing back on each other, being torn back and forth within ourselves, then we are not on mission or moving the church forward. And we don't fight spiritual battles on our own strength, but through and with the power of God so. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Cleanse your hands. Purify your hearts. James is saying you need to watch the way that you live your life in front of others. Pay attention to your behaviors. Trace them to the source of life, your heart, because this guides the motives of your mind, and this is where the battleground of belief takes place. That is how you fight back and win your double mind to push back against the desires that aren't God's desires. And James is calling us out. Because James knows that it's easier for us to give an appearance of holiness than to ever bear the fruit of holiness. Because at a time, James knew there was once a time when there was a ceremonial cleansing, rituals that made man fit to approach the worship of God. But now Jesus has come. And he has come to live within me and within you. And there should be a deepening of the conscience of God in our lives, of what he demands, not just some little outward adjustments and tweaks, no, a radical inward change. And James is saying, we have to stop making light of the sin that we know is in our lives. 
that if you were to take inventory of your life, there are things that you are aware of even right now that are out of alignment with what you know to be true about the character of God and him in your life. And he's saying, you continue to live your life like it's all okay. Like it's all fun and games, laughing your way through. Not realizing that it is the sin that separates you from God. James is saying, remember who God is. Remember who we are. And then James brings us back, pleading for us to find unity. Do not speak evil against one another. Brothers, the one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. And there is only one lawgiver and one judge. He is the one who is able to save and destroy. Who are you to judge your neighbor? The clearest sign Here it is, James bringing it up again. That you know that you are in right standing, moving in the right direction with God is how you act, treat, talk around other people. And James says, humbling ourselves is getting right with God that must result in us getting right with others. Because when we're right with God and we're right with others, it's reflected in how we live our lives and the behaviors that we have. And when we have proper humility before God, It should not come easily to arrogantly judge our brothers or sisters in Christ. We must be careful when we become unkind, critical, continually finding fault with or in others. That is a red flag that something is wrong in our hearts. And then James brings it home. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we'll go into such a town and spend a year there and trade to make profit, that you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. And it is. You boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is sin. Life is uncertain, and this is not a cause for fear or inaction. What, it's, what it should reveal is a continual need for us to be completely, wholeheartedly dependent on God. And when we build our life, we should make sure that we put our plans into his hands, surrendering our desire for his, because God desires so much more for our lives than we could ever desire for our lives. And God is saying, when I'm at the center of your heart, the things that you will begin to pursue, the passions that you will begin to have will reflect your desire for me. So why do so many of us pursue empty, meaningless things? Why do we leave our relationship with God on the back burner of our lives? We're so careful to plan out our personal lives. Good jobs, making investments, making sure we have money in the bank, working out, taking care of our health. We are so intentional about how we live, yet we leave our spiritual life in complete disarray, disregarding it, not taking the practical small steps that lead 
to the life that we really truly want. What do your desires say about you? What are your passions, the pursuits that you have revealing about who has your heart? Are you asking God for things and he's not answering? It could be that you have the wrong motive. You need to assess what is really going on on the inside because desire reveals where we need the most healing. Desires reveal where we need the most healing and it's time. It's time for us to do a reset, to draw near to God because being a Christian is not about running from hell. It's about running into the arms of God. We need to fall in love with Jesus in a practical way that we can begin to reset our lives and our heart is through worship. Worship is the work that reminds us that God is worthy. It puts him in his place and puts us in our place. And we need to purify our hearts. And we can do that in prayer with repentance Because Christianity is not about stopping the idol of your heart. It's about completely replacing the idol of the heart. And most of the time, change only comes when you're falling in love with something. That's what really pushes us to make a difference. And we need to love Jesus more. More than we desire the other things. And if you feel far from God, if you feel like you're growing weary, pursuing empty things, if your desires are being exposed and your behaviors and your thought life, and if it's sinful, then this is your moment to invite God to come back in. We're going to go into a song. We're going to go back into worship. You might not know this song. That's okay. What I want you to do is listen to the words and let the words be a declaration for your life and what you are asking from God, that God would let his spirit come back in, give us fresh life. God's presence within us, his Holy Spirit, is what enables, empowers us to make the difference, to make the moves, to root out the sinful things and to replace it with life. The Holy Spirit is what helps us rekindle a fire and a passion towards and for God. I want to pray before we go into this song. Heavenly Father, God, there are so many, God, Christians in this room, so many people who claim to follow you, but God, if we're honest, our lives right now, it does not reflect that as well as it should. God, there's some things, some sin that is separating us and you, and God, we need you to come back in to to rekindle this passion, our desire to know you more to be in relationship with you. God, we didn't come into this place by accident. You drew us here. You're trying to get our attention. God, it could be the difference between you saying, enter faithful servant or depart from me. I know you not. God, would you wake our hearts up? Give us an awareness of who you are, who you really are, and what it means for us. God, as we 
as we worship you because your presence is in this place right now. God, I would ask that you would just challenge us a little. That those of us who know some sin that's in our lives, that we would surrender that to you, that we would ask you for healing and for forgiveness, and then we would just take a step of faith to stand up, maybe to raise our hands, and to hand that idol back over to you as you come and take back the place that is rightfully yours in our hearts. In your name we pray. Hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If this ministry has impacted you in any way and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, please visit lifepointsa.com give to make a donation. We hope you have a great rest of your week and we hope to see you soon.